What a blessing it is to turn to the scriptures now. It's always a good place to be, isn't it? In the word of God. That song we sing, Holy Spirit, leaving, living breath of God. There's a line in that hymn that I was struck by just now as we sang it. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me faith for what I cannot see. How do you believe in a God you've never seen? How can you trust in a God you've never heard audibly? I was thinking of these things a few days ago as I was reading a little bit of Pilgrim's Progress to one of our grandsons. So there's the gratuitous mention of grandchildren. <laughs> but I, I'm not making this up. Um, as, as we, um, he's four years old. And, and we're, we're reading a bit of Pilgrim's Progress and journeying with Christian, the main character, uh, all the way to the celestial city. And I found myself trying to answer some very good theological questions from a four-year-old. Where is God? What is God like? And then he would look at me as if to ask, how do, how do we know this? And I was caught a little bit off guard. I figured we'd be talking about Paw Patrol or candy or something like that, not, <laughs> not theology. And um, how many of you know your four-year-old children and grandchildren are developing a theology? How do we know that the very notion of God is not just a story like other stories enjoyed by four-year-olds or 44-year-olds or 94-year-olds? That little boy, like some of our little boys and girls in this fellowship, is beginning to ask the very questions God himself wants us to ask. In fact, God puts these questions before every person on this planet and then graciously provides the answers. Psalm 19 is all about the answers. Can I know there is a God? Can I personally relate to this God whom I've never seen with my eyes? nor heard with my ears. And if I can know God, how can I know him? Well, this morning, God declares to us in Scripture his strong desire to be known. God has not hidden himself from anyone. Don't think that. God reveals himself to everyone. And you sometimes hear people say, boy, if God would just show up, I, I, I mean, if God would just reveal himself to me the way I want him to reveal himself to me, then I would trust him. Then I would follow him. Well, friend, God has done so. And why has he done so? Because God desires to be known. 
Do you know God? You say, well, I, I know about God. Do you know God? What provision has God made for you to know him personally? Easy now, we're getting there. <laughs> There's no way I can fill my allotted time if you're going to go straight to that. So everybody now leaves the room this morning thinking, at least privately, that it could have been a lot shorter, you know. <laughs> I love you, brother. <laughs> Psalm 19 is David's glad declaration of worship at God's incredible self-revelation. It's a creation psalm, and it is a Torah psalm. It's to do with God's instruction. It sings of God's self-disclosure, his kindness to you to reveal himself in creation and to reveal himself to you in conscience. And as was already mentioned, to reveal himself to you in his word. And so for, for the next uh, three Lord's Days, Lord willing, uh, we'll be looking at these three aspects of God's revelation of himself to us. Let's begin reading uh, Psalm 19 to the chief musician, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And it tells us that God preaches to all people relentlessly and globally and without partiality through the wonder of his work 
in creation. What, what people get this message from God? All people. <laughs> Where on earth is this, is this message given? Everywhere, with, without exception. When does this message get communicated? All the time, 24-7. And it has been preached, declared since the beginning of creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork, says verse 1. The words declare and shows are in the present tense. The idea is that there, ha- there is and, and always has been an ongoing, uh, constant revelation of God in creation itself. Look, look up into the sky, the, the firmament, David sings. Do, do you see the vastness of it all? God is here, it says to you. God exists. And God is immeasurable, incomparable, uncontainable. Do you see the, the, the complexity of it all, the sun and the moons and, and then the stars and, and how they interrelate with one another? I remember many, many years ago when I decided to take up fishing, and it, and it turns out that if you really want to get serious about it, you, you have to start thinking about when fish bite one's bait and moon phases and all that kind of stuff. And I, I began to realize in a fresh way how interconnected all of God's creation is. I never did get the hang of, of the moon stuff. <laughs> but I did notice that Safeway has a tremendous fish <laughs> display. <laughs> you see how the, the, the heavens are governed, they're ruled in such a way that their function, not, not just their beauty, not just the wow factor, but the function itself suggests both power and purpose. Well, that, that's because God is powerful and he is purposeful and beautiful. In fact, all of those descriptions of God that I've mentioned are like little tributaries that flow into the river that is God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, sings David. And God has been revealing himself in this way through his handiwork on an ongoing basis around the whole wide world every day, day and night since the beginning of creation. And and David is not saying, hey, God has hands. You know, God God is spirit. God simply spoke, you know, let there be. And there was. Those of you who went back to Genesis 1 this last week, as was suggested, were, were refreshed, uh, freshly reminded of that. Our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, spoke the universe into existence. But David is using man-centered language here to help us understand God's creative actions. If you want to think of them in human terms... That the entire result of God speaking all things into existence is an ongoing declaration of his deity and his divine attributes. Verse 2, day unto day utter speech, 
Night unto night reveals knowledge. God is pouring out knowledge of his deity and his power and his glory as the artist and the architect of all creation. Just think about that. Every person living and breathing on planet Earth who has ever existed has experienced this testimony from God himself in creation. There is a designer, a planner, a sustainer. I mean, why is there something instead of nothing, for example? Well, it all started with life crawling out of the primordial ooze and then, well, where did the ooze come from? And then how about before that? Everything comes from nothing? No. Before creation, God was. And God created all things and in doing so, put on display his deity, his eternality, his very existence. And as some of you know, this is often referred to um, by um, bookish people, I guess, as natural revelation, natural revelation, or general revelation. God reveals himself clearly in creation. And David says, that is just awesome. You can't experience life on planet Earth or even life on the space station looking at planet Earth without thinking somehow God is awesome and God is and he's powerful and he's good and he's beautiful. God wants to be known. Do you know God? Now, God reveals himself clearly in creation, but not completely. Don't misunderstand. We'll come back to that. Look at verse 3. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. It doesn't matter what lake you'll hear. You don't hear God's voice with your ears, okay? The stars don't literally talk to you, do they? The sky does not literally out to you. If that's happening, something's, something wrong is going on, okay? No, no, no. It, it's like a painting revealing something of its creator, its artist. So creation bears evidence of, of, of the character of God. And David wants God's people to never forget this. Because they live in a world that's surrounded by people, they live in a world surrounded by people who deny God or who worship the creation instead of the creator, who come up with their own fanciful ideas for how stuff came to be. General revelation then in creation, the glory of God written, uh, imprinted in the heavens like an open book for all to read. In fact, the word God in verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, is the Hebrew word El. I mean, it's perhaps the most general or even generic term for God, meaning what? Everyone who exists can see the glory of God in creation without exception. Notice 
that David narrows his focus then to just one aspect of creation, the sun, to illustrate God's declaration of himself. Look at verse 4, the, the tail end of it. In them, uh, he has, in the heavens, he has set a tabernacle for the sun. How many of you went outside yesterday giddy as school children? Because, and some of you, some of the school children went out too probably, right? Why? Because the sun was inviting us. Or maybe I should say, God, through his creation, inviting us to experience his goodness. And it's been a little while since we'd experienced that particular aspect of his goodness, hasn't it? Gray days and all. Without the sun, plants die. Without the plants, animals die. Without plants or animals, we die. It's all connected. Our very countenance is changed by the sun. Have you noticed that? How many times did you hear this morning from somebody, hey, the sun is out. And then there's, there's always one or two Eeyores you know, you got there's Tiggers and there's Eeyores, and, and, the, and, the, and the Tiggers are glad to see the sun, and the Eeyores are like, well, it was snowing this morning. And, and it was, right? It was. I don't even know why I brought that up. Just that reality alone in creation, sings David, declares to us the greatness and goodness and glory of God in what he provides for us. God is so immense, immeasurable, and unending, sings David, that the heavens are the heavens themselves are like a tent that's been set up, and in, in the middle of it, there's a, there's a lantern hanging there. That's, that's the sun in the heavens from God's perspective. Verse 5, the sun is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Like a bridegroom, radiant and energized, the sun's splendor is such that people like us get all excited to see it, especially in this part of the world. And we are meant to see and feel the benefit of God's Son, and then be stirred to delight in the God who gave it to us. You ever think about that? As you're living out your days with your eyes open and your ears perked up, you see the fingerprints of God everywhere. And we're meant to be caught up and awestruck in wonder at who God is and what God does for his world and its people And what? Seek him. God wants to be known. He's not hiding from anybody. Don't think that. Like a strong runner, says David, the sun begins its race every morning, never growing tired, and it takes a little break at night, David says, but each and every morning its race is run once again. All of this is to do with God declaring himself to all people in creation. You ever stop and listen to God's declaration of himself 
in creation? Let me just mention some practical implications here because you're giving me that look about now that says, you know, I think I've heard this before. I get it. Those of you who are parents or grandparents, do you, do you see how creation itself gives you a ready-made theological instruction guide for your discussions with your little ones? You, th- you think they're not pondering the things of God at a tender age? My grandson was at age four. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to take a walk this afternoon, not now, but later on today, if only for a few minutes, and just see what we learn about God simply by observing, experiencing his handiwork in creation. As it turns out, that would not be a weird thing to do. It's right here in the Bible. Secondly, how many of you want to live as a witness for the Lord and his gospel? Anybody? Don't believe the lie that people are not interested in the things of God are inclined to think about the things of God. Why do I say that? Uh, We should bear witness for the Lord with confidence because God has been declaring himself to our friends and neighbors and family members every day of their lives. I'm not saying they listen. I'm just saying there's not been a lack of information from God. There, There is no such person who did not get the memo of natural revelation or general revelation. God is. God is wise. God is great. God is powerful. He is eternal, and so forth. And thirdly, what, what, a, what a source of praise this is for us. How many of you are Eeyores? And by that, I mean Tiggers irritate you. And, and, and because you're an Eeyore, you're, you find yourself occasionally in a gloomy mood. I have found myself lately in a gloomy mood, and I think it's because I've been, I've been glued to the news about what's happening in Europe. And it just, and it just breaks my heart. And the cumulative effect of that is, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not encouraging in the natural sense until your gaze returns to the Lord. But, you know, the, the, the sunrise was seen in the Ukraine as well, Right? God is here and he is there and he's very much in charge and his ways are good and he's accomplishing his good purposes. So anyway, this is what David primarily is doing here. He is glorifying in God and he's leading God's people to praise the Lord for his self-disclosure in creation. And do you realize that there will, for all eternity because to praise the Lord for his self-disclosure in creation. Listen to Revelation 4.11. The testimony of the saints in heaven. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Now, 
we dare not end at this point because it's starting to feel kind of awkward, isn't it? Some of you are getting all squirmy when you hear me say that God has revealed himself to all people. What do we mean by that? If God declares himself to everyone, everywhere, all the time, relentlessly, then why do so many people reject God? Why do so many people in so many places, not just way over there someplace, but right around where you live, seem to not get the memo of God's self-disclosure in creation? And really come up with fanciful stories even that they will cling to to avoid the reality that God is and that he is the creator of all things. Well, listen to how the, how the Apostle Paul describes this in Romans 1. He says, uh, beginning with verse 18 of Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Note that. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Every person on this planet gets the same message from God via creation. And if you miss it, have you missed it? If you miss it, God says, it's because you suppress the knowledge of the revelation he's given to you. If you don't want to read to your grandkids or your kids, try this. Take a two-liter Coke bottle and take the top of it off and then stick your hand over the top and shake it up just for kicks. Your kids will want to do this. And you realize that you have to deliberately push back against the opening of that two-liter bottle or it will pop. I mean, it will explode all over you. That's what Paul is saying when he says, hey, sinful man by nature suppresses, pushes down this revelation, this self-disclosure of God in creation. In other words, it takes effort to deny God. Why? (laughs) Because God wants to be known. He's not hiding from anybody. Against overwhelming evidence of God's deity and, and eternality and power, People suppress the truth that can be known about God just from God in creation. So how do do you explain that? Why do people by nature suppress the knowledge of God that is given to all people? Well, it, it forces man to accept that he exists for God's glory. It, 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 it forces her to understand that she is providentially sustained by God, not just the created order, but, but she is. It, it, it forces them 
to realize that just as creation is utterly dependent upon God and subordinate to God, so are people made in his image and therefore accountable to God. Now pay attention because we're going in a direction. Why, why does any of this matter? Why do we even need to know about such a thing as natural revelation? Because we're church people, right? I mean, we know this stuff. Well, I don't know. I guess only you can answer that, whether you know it or not. But here's the thing. As much as natural revelation says to us, it does not tell us that we're sinners who need a Savior. No one becomes a saved person by staring at a starry sky or or basking in the warmth of the sun. And so the person who says, you know what? My church is out there in the woods, up there on the mountaintop. I just love the trees and I just love the sun. And, and, And you can say to them, be tender about it. Friend, you're in danger of worshiping the creation, not the creator. No one is saved from the wrath of God by simply acknowledging the benefits of creation. So natural revelation, Paul says to the Romans, condemns all. Why? Because God has revealed himself to all. And yet natural revelation by itself, what God discloses of himself in creation, saves no one. And David knew this. And so did people in David's day. Israel knew this. Their neighbors, their, their, the pagan nations, saw creation and did what? They worshipped creation. They worshipped the sun. Or they came up with their own make-believe deities that they would, would, would give credit and responsibility for the actions of what they saw in creation. And that's why this psalm... Are you still listening? Every once in a while, nod your heads. That's why this psalm takes this crazy, um, kind of startling change in direction at verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about creation. Now we're talking about the law of God. Why? Well, no one is saved by natural revelation. To to be made right with God, we need more, don't we? We we need specific revelation or, or special revelation. Remember, God wants to be known. And he's revealed himself specifically in his word. Now, I don't know if you find this interesting, but I do, so I'm going to inflict it on all of you. But I, I mentioned that that word El, E-L, you know, for that sort of general, generic name for God is mentioned in verse 1. Here in verse 7, though, uh, the law of the Lord is Yahweh. How interesting. The law of Yahweh is perfect. Yahweh is God's covenant name. God, the creator, <laughs> who who calls a people to himself and and says, hey, I'm your God and you're my people. You see, to know God personally, savingly, eternally, you need his word. 
to be saved and sanctified, to, to be brought near to God, to be made right with God, to have your very soul converted. Has that happened to you? To have your soul converted. For that, you need special revelation. You need God's word, the scriptures. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. If you look at verses 7 through 11 in your Bibles, just do that now. It'll make me feel better. Um, But you'll notice that it's almost as if David has raided a thesaurus to come up with different ways of explaining or describing the word of God. Law, testimony, statutes, commandments, judgments. He's praising God for his special revelation of himself. Why do we hand out Bibles? There's a whole stack of them available, or at least there was the last time I checked in the, in the foyer, little Bibles that say how to find God on the cover. Why do we hand those out? Because God reveals himself to sinners in his word. God wants to be known. And and Lord willing, we'll look uh, next week at verses 7 through 11 with greater detail. But uh, but for now, let's just think of it this way. Look at at verse 7 again. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. How does David know his soul needs converting? That's interesting. How how does he even know that? Well, not, not from staring at the stars. Not not from basking in the sun. He's gazed at the nature of God in the law of God. Think of the Ten Commandments. Think of the ones that you just remember right now. Hopefully all ten, but, but whatever. It'll only take one. David gazed into the law of God, which is the reflection of God's holiness to man, and he realized there is this infinite gap between holy God and a person like himself. God is holy. He is only moral excellence. And David knew he was not. Sin's curse has made it so even the very best among us in this room live a life that is a terrible distortion of the holiness of God. A holiness we were actually created to reflect. You say, well, I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, the difficulty with, with coming with that attitude to Scripture is that it doesn't really matter a hill of beans what we think of it. What God says is true. And what he says in his word are things like, don't steal, don't covet, honor your parents, don't ever love anything as much as God, not even once. We've broken all of those commandments, haven't we? Some of us have broken a commandment or two today. I don't mean in a cavalier sense. How did David know that he needed to care about this, though? That's the issue. Because he talks about converting the soul. He wants to change. Why does he care? 
Well, that brings us to the, 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 the last, the third and final aspect of God's revelation. How, how does God reveal himself to you? Because he wants to be known. Well, there is his revelation in creation. There, there is, his, is his revelation in his word. And there is his revelation of himself in your conscience. I pray that consciences are working right now, not just minds, but consciences. Not just the information center of you, but, but the part of you that cares about stuff, is moved by stuff. Look at verse 12. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from my secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgressions. David, David's conscience, informed in general by God's natural revelation, uh, in, in, informed specifically by God's self-disclosure in the law, in Scripture, has also been enlivened by God's covenant love for him. This is a work of the Spirit of God. And now David is moved to deeply care about the state of his relationship with this God who has created all things and has spoken his truth in his word. Have you been moved in such a way? What, what, what does your conscience testify to you right now about this? Because you can't ignore your conscience. I know this because I'm not the only one in this room who has spent a few years in my distant past trying to do so. David's conscience tells him that he is a sinner before God in need of cleansing. And so even in a song of praise like this, we can't help but ask ourselves, has this miracle happened to me? You, you, you've benefited from every single day of your life what God has created all around you. The, the, the air you breathe, the sun that warms you, um, the, the, the rain that refreshes <laughs> that the plants and the animals that feed you, let alone delight you. Have you acknowledged him? Have you acknowledged that just as the world itself was created for God's glory, in fact, declares it, you also were created for the glory of God and are meant to declare his glory with your life? Have you acknowledged that just as the, the world itself is dependent upon God, so are you? Do, do you live in glad dependence upon God? Or are you independent of God in your thinking? And all of that is clear simply from God's world. What, what, of, what of God's word? Have you been moved by God's specific revelation of himself? 
You know, if, if you are one of those people who went back to Genesis 1, let me just remind you that you, you could have read from Genesis 1 all the way to Psalm 19, and you would see God revealing himself to his people progressively, promising to cleanse his people of their sin simply by their faith in his grace to forgive them and to cleanse them. The promise was made to Adam, wasn't it? Adam and Eve, the seed of the woman, promised in Genesis 3, and then is revealed progressively throughout history. So at, at the time of David, bear in mind that when David said the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, God's people were not saved by their law keeping. Don't think that. Well, in the Old Testament, people were saved by obeying the law. And in the New Testament, God doesn't care about his law. That No, that, that's wrong. In, in fact, it's a false gospel. They had an elaborate system of blood sacrifices, didn't they? And even that sacrificial system couldn't remove the guilt of people's sin. It had to be done over and over and over again. And the continuity of all of those sacrifices in David's day was saying to God's people, hey, the blood of animals is not the answer in itself. It's a picture of this promise that I made in the beginning. It's pointing to the work of a redeemer a savior who will come and finally satisfy the wrath of God for his people's sin. And God had revealed himself to David in David's own conscience. And the evidence of it is verse 14. We'll end with that. It's always good to end with the last verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. How interesting. That's a New Testament word, isn't it? No. It's a Bible word. It's all over the Bible. To be acceptable is to be acquitted, isn't it? How... How is any sinner like David or like you or me to be acquitted? Acquitted. Well, that takes us from the king of Israel, David, to the king of kings of Psalm 2. Do you remember looking at Psalm 2? Please tell me you do. <laughs> it takes us to the, the blessed man of Psalm 1. Remember that one? Anybody? It takes us to the Son of Man in Psalm 8. That's more recent history, isn't it? We got an outside shot at remembering that one. It takes us to the one who would die and yet live again in Psalm 16. I'm starting to think that there's a pattern here in these psalms. I mean, I'm not the brightest bulb, but I'm getting the idea that this is all to do with Jesus. The entire Bible then 
sends us all the time to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that no matter where we're at in the scriptures, in some way we're pointed again and again to the finished work of Christ for his people. Do you see the beauty of Jesus' holy life lived for you? The law of the Lord is perfect. You're not perfect, nor am I. Jesus is. Do you see the power of his sin-atoning death? All this blood shed on that cross, not for his own sin. He knew no sin, but for your sin, for my sin, for the sins of all of his people. You see, in Jesus, the, the glory of his empty tomb, his resurrected life, that, 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 that he's the first fruits of all who will have a share in his victory over death, be raised to everlasting life. Let me just end with this. And I'm not messing with you. I'm, I'm going to quit right shortly here. Um, why does God reveal himself in creation as he does? Clearly, though, though not completely. Why does he reveal himself in the word? as he does. And, and, and what about your conscience that is speaking to you even now in some form, those of you who are attentive at all? Why? It's because God desires to be known rightly and relationally. And he's made every provision for us to know him in that way. So I ask you again, do you know God? It's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul uses the theology of creation and conscience and the word to explain what it is to be a Christian. Listen to this verse and then we'll close. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the living word, amen? God who created all things by his word, recreates his people by the word made flesh to dwell among us. Let's pray. Father, we are glad today to be reminded just how thoroughly you have revealed yourself to us, that you are not distant, that it pleases you to condescend yourself to be known by people like us, sinful that we are. Lord, I pray that you would work in consciences right now. That by the power of your word, in the hands of 
you, Holy Spirit, that you would grant repentance and faith in Christ among us this day. And Lord, I pray that your people would live with with glad awareness at the wonder of this world that you have made. We've messed it up, Lord, but you designed a perfect world. And you've left your fingerprints all over it for us to see and for us to point to as we instruct our children, as we point our neighbors to your word and to our living word, the Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be mindful of this. And we ask you this for your namesake.